Hello, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. Um, this podcast today is in honor of the Easter Vigil. Well, it's not in honor of it. it well, I mean, I yeah, guess, I guess it is the Easter Vigil. Well, this podcast is not the Easter Vigil. Okay, that's good. Because talks I, about because all of a sudden I got like freaked out. I'm like, where are my vestments? I'm like, where's the, where's those well, about to be baptized? There, I saw them on the floor by the washing machine. Oh, those are the cassocks. Those are the cassocks. Sorry, we're not talking about Russians either. The cassocks. Jeez, <laughs> oh, what a nerdy joke! <laughs> this is the word for on the both hill. of you that got that. Yeah, yeah. Um, this is the word on the hill. Yeah, that's right. We're the lanky guys, and um, this is the word on the hill. And I'm Scott Powell, and I'm Father Peter Musset, and we are a little bit nervous, as you can tell. Because we're going to be looking, as Father Peter said, we're going to look at all of the readings from the Easter Vigil Mass. We, we got a we got an email from somebody who uh, said, "Hey, um, you need to man up and do all the what? readings." Did you not get that email? No. Oh yeah, it was a. Uh, what do you mean? We do do all the readings. We, I mean, please don't ever say that again. We do do. We do do all the readings. Do do these? Those are our duties. Those are our duties. Ah. <laughs> oh, so hold on. He just he, hold on. Let's I see. didn't get this email. Yeah, I'll, let me let me check on who it is because he also was he mad at us? No, no, he just he was just like giving us a, like a hearty, oh, uh, like uh, an encouragement for this week. Not yeah, that we yeah. don't usually do the readings. No, no, no. He was oh, just okay. he was just. I get like, automatically very defensive. Yeah, yeah, this podcast is like our little child. It is. It is misbehaves sometimes, but um, I love it anyway. Um, While you're looking that up, we did get an email from, and I I, I sent her an email back, but Lauren from uh, I think she's from Virginia was asking about our um, opening and closing song, which we haven't talked about. We haven't given a shout out to that for a while. So the music we use at the beginning of the entrance, the beginning and then the end, if you're interested, is by a good friend of mine named Dave Wilton. He's got a band called A Boy and His Kite. We use the song Till the End of Time, which is an awesome song. If you haven't checked out A Boy and His Kite, get the whole album. They're sweet. Dude, that's awesome. Yeah, this is this is from Eddie Renya. Okay. And um Did and- you just send it to you personally? I, I, I'm looking at the lanky guys at thomascenter.org. He, he did. Email. He had sent it to me personally. And uh, and remember the song that I kept on saying I wanted to sing about the Jerusalem? King of glory comes the nation rejoice. Not that one. Open. The one where I was like, Jerusalem. Yes. Jeru-. Yeah, that's called the Song of Tobit. Oh. Uh, the Song of wow. Tobit, Jerusalem Rebuilt. Wow. And then um, and wow. he says, I just wanted to ask you and Scott to man up next week and do all the readings for the Easter Vigil. <laughs> How can I not get defensive at that? I mean, it, it sounds like he's but he put a smiley, a fight. He, he put like a emoticon with That's a smiley face. That's the problem with our culture. <laughs> this is the <laughs> number one. We can say whatever we want as long as we put a smiley face emoticon <laughs> behind it. You can say whatever the heck you feel like. <laughs> Who do we think we are? <laughs> Who do you think you are? A Man smiley up, face. smiley face emoticon. <laughs> wink, 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 wink. Unbelievable. Well, no, actually, I kind of liked it. It was, it had a good tone. That's so, true. Eddie, we're we are we're manning up, man. And this has become our tradition. Granted, we've only had one other Easter vigil in the life of this podcast, but we did the whole thing. Yeah, we did. And and hey, um, so I was talking to my dad, who finally has subscribed, Mickey, to the lanky guys. Okay, he's like, wow, this good is you, this is good. Really? Yeah, that's not what I expected. I know. I was like, I was, you know, it's always wow. nervous when your dad tunes in. It's nervous when anybody tunes but, in. For but, me. but, but he was like, he was like, dude, he's like, dude, you got to give me a shout out now. And oh, I was like, I was like, shout out, shout out to my pops. Shout out to Mickey Mouse so on the Easter Vigil podcast. Oh man, absolutely. So if you listen to this podcast, that means that you have to go to the Easter Vigil. 
Or you can go to another mass because you've already heard the readings for the Easter Vigil. I will not be at the Easter Vigil. Neither will any of you parents who have three and five-year-olds. <laughs> but on that note, I get to reflect on the readings. You do. On that note, Let's... we are, should we, should we, we're going to list off the readings like we usually do, except there'll be lots more of them this week. Yeah. So our first reading is coming from the book of Genesis, chapter one. Imagine that. It begins at the beginning. Chapter 1, verse 1, through chapter 2, verse 2. 1, 1, 2, 2. 1, 1, 2, 2. Very 1, 1, 2, 2. Indeed. And not the, not the shorter version. No, no, then, no. Then we rock into Psalm 104. <laughs> yes, we and, do. And um, and I'm not going to read all of the Psalm verses. Psalm 104, that's all this you need to Psalm know. 104. Okay. Awesome. Um, but uh, you could also do Psalm 33, but we're not going to do Psalm 33. Well, we don't want to do something. We're going to do Psalm 104. Then? Then we're in the second reading, which is from Genesis 22, verses 1 through 18. Which is very cool. Followed mm-hmm. by Psalm 16, Suck of Faces. <laughs> followed in turn by the third reading from Exodus chapter 14, verse 15 through 15, verse 1. I wanted it really to be ver- through verse 4. It would have been way more symmetrical. Palindrome. Palindromium. That wouldn't and, be a palindrome. And then... Do you know... Sorry, really quick. Do you know every day this week is a palindrome? Wow. Well, no. Four... One six, one four. Wait, yeah, four oh. one six one four. Oh, it's palindrome week. It's palindrome week, dude. That's awesome. It's a blood red moon palindrome week. The world is ending. Ah, tetrad. All right. Okay. Oh, what's our responsorial psalm? Well, it's not a psalm. It's even though it's called. The responsorial psalm. psalm. It's an it's a canticle. Exodus fifteen. Mm-hmm. Good. Um, which actually, it, it's cool. It's it's actually what comes directly after the third reading. Yeah. So the third reading actually says they begin to sing this song, and then the responsorial psalm is the song. It's cool. So we'll talk about that in a second. Oh. Okay. Oh, <laughs> oh happy memories. That, All right. That, that Fourth was, reading. That was the sound of horse hooves, <laughs> in case you were <laughs> and wondering. And the horse and rider cast into the sea. Bum, 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 bum. All right. Reading number four comes from Isaiah chapter 54, verses 5 through 14. That's almost symmetrical, too. Dude, this Almost. is. I'm gonna. I do. If I if I made a lectionary, I would do it all. All in palindromes. Good. Okay. Then we have Psalm 30 to follow that one. Spending the whole podcast on this. Uh, our fifth reading comes from Isaiah chapter 55, verses one through 11, which is also close to a palindrome. Yeah. <laughs> you just see what's happening. Okay. And then, <laughs> then our responsorial psalm is not a is not a psalm now. It's a canticle from Isaiah, mm-hmm. um, which is chapter 12 of Isaiah. Mm-hmm. Then our our sixth reading comes from the book of Baruch, chapter three, verse nine through fifteen, uh, and thirty four, thirty two, thirty two, four through four. What? All right, we'll, we'll, we'll figure that out. The, yeah, that that goes from Why chapter thirty two to, to to verse There's four, five, six chapters. All right, anyway, <laughs> so that was a good one. Then Psalm, <laughs> Psalm nineteen, nineteen, <laughs> lots of stuff, and then our. Uh, our next reading is from the book of Ezekiel, chapter 36. I like to call him 17. Zeke, dude. Our buddy Zeke. <laughs> and then 18 through 28. I didn't. I forgot about that one. And There's then a we, lot of readings. And then we have Psalm What are 42. we doing? What are we thinking? Dude, it's going to be good. We're, I'm terrified. I am terrified. I'm starting to shake because I forgot to study up on Ezekiel. Okay. Psalm 42, yep. Yep. Then we're, uh, where are we? Into the epistle. My goodness gravy. Then we're in the epistle, which is from Romans, chapter 6, verses 3 through 11. 
And finally, the gospel, Matthew 28, 1 through 10. 10. Wow, wow, wow. This is a lot of stuff. I made notes. I'm going to, yeah. Good. I'm glad you did. Just because, like, normally I just wing it. I mean, like, I don't study for nothing for this. Yeah. I'm just kidding. This is going to be broadcast to thousands of people. And I'm like, oh, I'll just start recording whatever my current thought is. <laughs> whatever, I mean, whatever comes out. <laughs> okay. Here's one of my initial observations about these readings. Talk to me. They each, and this isn't that profound of an insight. Each of them contains both good and bad. Oh. Each of them contains a look to the past and a look to the future. Oh, that's a cool insight. And I want to talk about that. That's the one thing I want to pull out is how each of these things, in the midst of the good news, there's always the memory of the bad news that kind of got us there. And in the midst of all the bad news, there's always hope that God will bring reconciliation out. And so the starting point for all of that starts in Genesis 1. So this is the, the creation story. The first creation story, as it's called. Um, again, literally the first words of the Bible. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless wasteland. Darkness covered the abyss while a mighty wind swept over the waters. Every good story, as a literature yeah. professor of mine once taught, every good story has to have a good problem. So as Genesis begins, we already have the first problem. What is the problem in the Genesis story as we begin? Formless wasteland and darkness covering the abyss. Yeah, it's formless. It's and a formless void. wasteland. Formless and void is what some Ta- translations tabu, say. Uh, tabu abahu. Uh, tabu abahu, which is interesting because um, part, part of the thing that I'm going to that I that I'm thinking about drawing out is is the nature of the Sabbath because mm. everything is like centered around a, a, a sabbatical. Mm. Nice. Is, does, the, does that come from the same word? Because I just said yes, it. Yes, it does. Because when is a sabbatical? A sabbatical is every seven years. Oh, shoot. I'm into my eighth year of priesthood. You should be on vacation. I should be on vacation, (laughs) Last year. You missed it. Dude, I hate that. My sabbatical, I got jacked. I know you did. So talk to me. What's going on here? Okay, so, well, I I think that... uh, as you look in the, into Genesis, uh, one of the things that, okay, so you take this formless wasteland, God mm-hmm. gives it form. So, so then we God have, is the problem solver. God is a problem solver. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's good, because he creates gray, day and night. Mm-hmm. Then he became uh, land, earth, and sea. Yeah. Or, uh, sky, wish, sky, and This is the moment that I wish I had a whiteboard. You do have a whiteboard in people's minds. Okay, the whiteboard in your mind. Should we, should we talk about this whole the structure we, of this, yeah, I love that. Yeah, I, mean, I don't want to take too much of my time. I, I drew it. I drew it. I know. Too. I saw. I know. I know you love it too. <laughs> okay, so l- 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 there's a structure. Okay, you have to imagine a grid with six parts, mm-hmm. and then there's and then and and so well, and then on top of it there's a single part. Or do you do it? You're being inverted? a very visual designer right now. Okay. Let's just think in these way, in these terms. Okay, What's the problem in the story? Formless and void. It's formless and it's void. Taboo so what does that mean? It means it doesn't have form and it's empty. Formless and empty. That's another way of saying formless and void. Okay. So there's no shape and there's nothing in there's nothing there. So what does God have to do with? Well, first of all, he has to put form, right? Yep. So the first three days of creation, what are they all about? They're all about making form out of the formless. So what does he make in the first three days? What's day one, remember? Day one uh, is a light and let light and dark. Light and dark is day one. What's day two? The sky. Sky uh, sky and sea, right? Is that right? No, no. It's just the sky. Well, you're just the sky. Oh, yeah, it is. It is. It is. Uh, and then he, the eye. Yeah, sky and sea. Sky and sea. And then what's day three? Earth. Yeah, dry land. So form is made. The first three days are solving the first problem, right? There's form being made out of the formless. Yep. 
So what happens? What is the what is this problem still yet to be solved? Is void. Void. So it has to be filled up. Exactly. So day one, he made what? The sky. No, he made light and dark. Yep. So what does he do on day four? He fills what was formed. So what's day four? Sun and moon. The sun and moon to go in the light and the dark, right? To govern the light and the dark. What's day two? Day two was the sea and the sky. So birds and fish. Birds and fish to fill what was formed. And then, of course, day three, we have dry land. And we get cattle. <laughs> cattle and goats cattle. sheep sheep seats go to heaven sheep. and goats go to hell i can't think of the song it's, it's it, actually it, sheep sheeps go to heaven goats that's go the to name hell. of the song yeah, yeah it's oh. from cake cake that's who it was yeah. i hated cake all right anyway let them eat cake so he's created this home this house right mm-hmm. that's that's the grid whole thing right he's created something he's filled the he's Formed the formless and he's filled the empty. Yes, sir. But that's only six days. Where's the seventh Where's day? Where's the seventh day? It's a roof on the it's house. It's the roof on our little gridded house, right? Yeah. So this is where we have to, you know, we have to enter into the mindset of the ancient peoples and the uh, people in a culture that's different than ours. You know, for the ancients, numbers had less to do with quantity than they did with quality, right? Yes, sir. So the number seven. Am I stealing all your thunder? No, not at okay. all. Dude, this is great. I love talking about this. So the number seven, remember, see, this is our problem. We read this as Westerners living in 2013. What year is it? 2014. <laughs> whatever, whatever you You're living, we're in, li- last living year, in the brother. past, man. <laughs> oh, no. But we, we think, so we hear, oh, God created the earth in six days or seven days, depending on how you look at it. What does that mean? How many things were created on day one? How many hours did it take him to create all of the bugs that exist in sub-Saharan Africa? I mean, we, we want to quantify things so we have exactitudes, right? Yes, sir. But we're not thinking like ancient Easterners. We're not thinking about people in this part of the world in this culture for whom, again, numbers are less about the quantity of something than they are the quality. So in Hebrew, there's no numerals in Hebrew. Every number was represented by a letter. So that means every word actually had a numeric value to it. So, you know, one equaled A, and two equaled B, three equaled C, et cetera, et cetera. So there's there's more of a qualitative nature. So oh, I don't want to get into all this. I love bed, gimel, het. Yeah. yeah. But I, I just keep thinking, I led a little study with the focus crew this morning about revelation. And that's where you get this this famous line, um, 666 what's the number the number of the devil what's the number of the the evil one well yeah which which is which is referring to that they don't have superlatives so if you're going to say something it, you don't have good better and best you have to say good good exactly yeah good 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 and then good 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 yeah exactly and, and 3 it doesn't get any more than 3 no and so so 6 is the number of unrest because we have not yet put a roof on the house it's not the letter of unrest so much. I mean, the, the number. The number. Well, but but, but for one thing, I mean, so we think in terms, you know, we want, what is sick? It's, it's, well, it's, his, it's his address or his social security number. You know, what's the devil's, the devil's license plate? It, but it's not. So in the Old Testament, frequently you see the, the, a set of three sixes show up. You see it with, um, what's the first one? So uh, David and Goliath. Remember Goliath, his height was described in terms of three sixes. Oh. Nebuchadnezzar, remember when Nebuchadnezzar wanted Daniel to worship that statue that he had built? It's described in a terms of three sixes. When Solomon had his huge downfall and turned corrupt, he gathered 666 talents of gold. Ooh. So if you're a Hebrew and you're saying, oh, the mark of the beast is 666, that reminds me of all these people who set themselves against God. So you're thinking six, what happens on the sixth day of creation? Six, day six is the day that humans, humanity is created. And so when you see the number six show up, what's the qualitative idea of six? It's the idea of humanity. Humanity is not bad, 
But humanity becomes corrupt when it focuses only on itself. What's 666? It's the idea of idolatri- idolatizing. Idolatrizing. Trizing? No, I don't know. Making it Idol- into an idol ourselves without God. Idolizing. So it's human beings being the be-all, end-all. Got it. Instead of looking ahead to the next day. So day six, it's our day. This is all about us. This is the story in Genesis. Remember, they built cities to themselves. They wanted to build towers to themselves. They worship their own name. They're focused on the six. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But what creation is doing is trying to take us away from the six for the sake of the seventh day. There's something more that we are called to. We're not just about us. We're not made as the be-all, end-all of our own lives. We're made for relationship with somebody else, with a God who loves us, right? Yeah. That's why there's seven days of creation. And on the seventh day, it's not just that God rests. He didn't just go take a nap. It's the day of community. It's the day that he wants to bring us into communion with himself. We were talking before the podcast about the idea of purposelessness and how nice it is sometimes to not have a goal or an end to everything, but just to just to be, just to be in community, just to gather, just to, to see creation for what it is. Just to be, and that's what the day of the seventh day is all about, is God wanting to simply be in communion with the people that he's created. So, so far in this reading, we've already seen good and bad, haven't we? We've seen a problem of creation that God seeks to solve, but the problem of creation is going to be kind of reciprocated a little bit later on because now people are going to focus on ourselves to the detriment of our relationship with God. So, even the way this whole text is set up, you should be thinking of all the problems that are going to come later on in the narrative. Does that make mm, sense? Totally. I'm just kind of thinking out loud. That's good. Which leads us into a Psalm 104. Psalm 104. Tell me about Psalm 104. Psalm 104. I mean, it's... Lord, send out your spirit and, and renew the face of the earth. earth. The face of the earth. Oh. All right. Um, so... Talk to me. What, ha- what it is, is it's really echoing the days of creation. Echoing the days of creation. I mean, so it's just talking about. I mean, it's you, just talking you, about. I'm echoing you. I, I feel. Oh, it's. Oh, ah. yeah, see, I. You know how you, you ever talk on the cell phone and it actually echoes like what you're saying back to you? Have you ever had that? Mm-hmm. Sometimes. Yeah, I hate that. I hate that too. It's the worst. My Sorry. my my dad had it on the on his phone that like happened. And thanks be to God that it was fixed. But like that, that that's what I felt like for a second, and I was like Sorry. I was like I panicked inside. No, I saw the look in your face was not one of amusement. <laughs> like oh, I'm not goodness. So um so it's just talking about f- fixing the earth upon its foundation. Mm. And then making the ocean, and you covered it with like that, and the and then you made uh, the earth and the water, and then you sent forth springs into the watercourses, and then birds and branches to sing forth their song. So it's it's really the song of creation yes. trying to try and but but then what it does um, is it says okay, ultimately we work through the days producing bread for man of the earth. How manifold are your works, O Lord, and wisdom you have wrought them all. The earth and it's full, is full of your creatures. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Mm. So what it's doing is it's putting the Sabbath on top of all of creation oh, nice. and blessing God at the end of this thing so that so that it's it's a really it's a song to remind you that these things are good wow and that, to, to enjoy and to reap the the bountiful harvest of the earth but that wow. again we are pointed towards the sabbath and that, that that we have to bless the lord for this and this not to take uh creation for granted so that's why the the, res, the refrain is 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 right send out your spirit renew the face of the earth that wow. that um in some ways, it's both agricultural, saying, "Yeah, renew the face of the earth. Let it bring forth all of these good things, these birds, these animals, and and let let creation be fecund and and 
um, and filled with life. I know a fecund is is one of the. It, it sounds it sounds it sounds like like something else. Yeah, and so let's not get all scatological here. Oh, on the, oh on dude, the podcast. I am a little scattered right now. Oh. The first time I heard the word eschatology, I looked up scatology, which, which is mm. anyway. Um, <laughs> dude, why yeah. does it? Why does everything devolve into a poop joke? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know that. I don't either. Um, so, but the other thing, so I, th- th- it is hearkening, like you said, all the way back to this creation story. I, I hate, I'm sorry, hate's a, a strong word, but so is muscular. <laughs> um, I dislike the uh, translation that we get for the first line of Genesis, a mighty wind swept over the waters. Maybe it's just because I think of the movie, a mighty wind. <laughs> but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it, it, it's that God's breath, his ruah, um, was floating over the face of the deep, which is much more similar to what the responsorial Psalm is. God's spirit is floating over the face of the deep. And, but, but so if we know that that already happened, you're thinking in terms of Genesis, what this Psalm says is Lord do it again. Oh, but and recreate us, which is totally points towards the Annunciation, the incarnation of yeah, Jesus Christ. Exactly, it's what it's those little small details I that know. all of a sudden bring it out, and you're like, oh yeah, I hold know. on, we made creation, and we're about to encounter the new creation. That's it, and which is going to take the Sabbath and it's going to explode it into a thousand awesomenesses. That's what is exploding. <laughs> Now we go to the Genesis 22. Which is a very famous passage. You've all heard of it. This Absolutely is, one of my favorites of all time. Is it really? Dude, I just really? love it. Yeah. It's just like, because it's such a, a like, it, it, the moment of obedience of Abraham to um, sacrifice Isaac is... Yeah, it, that's what the story is about, just to catch you up. The, sa- the, the, the sacrifice of Isaac. Abraham Abrahaming sacrificing Isaac. And so what's cool is that is that when you look, here's a man who responds in faith, huh. and it so perfectly images what's going to take place uh, uh, next to the Temple Mount. Because what's happening is, is, is Jesus Christ taking up willingly hmm. uh, the cross and to become an immolation from his father who Absolutely. asked him. And uh, and w- it was cool because I looked up Mariah. For some reason, I was always like, "Dude, what is M- Mount Mariah?" Because it talks about that. Yeah. And um, it's interesting because he had to travel three days to Mount Mariah. Mount Mariah is now understood actually as the Temple, the Temple Mount. Mount. It's like the it's a little bit of a debate because Mariah is more of a range than a specific mount. So we're not a hundred. It's either the Temple Mount, or it could have been Calvary. It could. It we're not. It, but it's really it's either it, Calvary or it's overlooking the, over or it's the Temple. It's right around. It's right around there. Well, it would it would be fitting. The temple makes most sense. Yes, because because then you would like the people would remember the willingness to sacrifice, exactly. and then Abraham takes up the ram caught in the thicket. Yes, and he what does he say? He says, "I'm going to rename this mountain Yahweh Yira. On this mountain, the Lord will provide." Remember, there was already a kingdom called Salem, which is right near here. Because remember, there was that scene of Abraham and the king of Salem who went out to meet him, Melchizedek. So now we have a mountain called Yahweh Yira, right outside of Salem. Soon this is going to become Yaira Salem, Jerusalem. So that's actually where the name comes from. So this is the mount where, where Jerusalem will be built. Oh man, yeah. And which it would it's just so it's just so beautiful. Wow. Yeah, it's cool. Well, and so so this is this is kind of a wild one, and this is where my brain starts to go kind of crazy because because okay. it's three days for them to get from where they are. They are in bare. Sheba? Beersheba, three days from Beer, yeah, something like that. Is that right? 
Yeah. Um, yeah, I can't remember exactly where yeah. it was. Um, um, but it's three days travel. Yeah. Which is yeah. is already pointing towards the three oh. days. Jeez, I didn't even think. About it. <laughs> you yeah. keep saying it. I was like, okay. Yeah, because three days wow. is like the, is this gigantic uh-huh. emphasis of of sacrifice uh-huh. and then return. It's also the superlative. I mean, you just, I, I don't want to read oh. too much into it, but you just said at the beginning, you know, three of something is the the totality of something. I mean, it doesn't get more than that. There's three days to the sacrifice. What's that pointing you to? The totality of sacrifice. I think. I mean, it's all kind of embedded in there, this rich imagery. Yeah, that's just cool, man. But the other thing we have to mention. Is the age? The age. Because we always hear the story. I always heard the story. I remember this story. We think about this story if you if you have heard of it. We picture Isaac, this little boy, you know, who's going like up with five with, years with old dad, right? This little guy, but he's not. We actually we he know he has to carry the wood on his back at least. Well, he has to carry the wood, but we actually know that he's thirty-seven years old. We know we know the exactitude. Wait, is that right? I thought he was. I thought he was thirty-three. Thirty-three would be more convenient, wouldn't it? <laughs> it would be way more convenient. I yeah. I can't remember the math because I always. I always get tripped up between these two. Actually, well, we know Sarah. We know Sarah, his mother, dies when he's when he's on this trip. Um. <laughs> yeah, da, 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 da. I'm looking at my notes. You go up on Mount Moriah. There's a lot of things. Um. Yeah. So. Um. Well, in Jewish tradition, he was thirty-seven years old. Why Sarah dies while he was gone. Uh, Sarah's death is told to us at the beginning of chapter 23, the very next chapter. Uh-huh. Um, and Isaac will be consoled. So we, we know how old Sarah was when Isaac was born. Um, and then we're told how old she is at her death in chapter 23. And if you do the math backwards, it puts Isaac at about 37. The point is not, well, wait a second, how come he's, if he's 37, I thought Jesus was 33. What's the deal? There's a guy in his mid 30s. Being brought up. I mean, God's not, I think, as concerned about the exactitude. He has to be exact age. I mean, he's painting a picture for us. Isaac is not Jesus, but there's something that's being evoked here, right? Absolutely. So you have a man in his mid-30s who's going up a mountain, carrying the wood for his own sacrifice. Abraham is in his hundreds by now. I mean, who has the upper hand in this story? Is it going to be the mid-30-year-old guy who's carrying a huge stack of wood up a giant mountain? Or is it going to be the old hundred-and-something man who's got his little dagger that he's going to you hold still, Isaac? I mean, who's got the upper hand? Isaac is clearly a willing sacrifice. He's a willing victim. He knows what's going on. Abraham doesn't haul him up and put him on the altar. He puts himself there, which is the most profound part of the story, right? Yeah, which is where we we see Jesus. And Jesus actually in the same place carries his wood through this to mount. Exactly. And, and well, so the, here's what's always bugged me about this story. And maybe it's bugged you guys too. It always seems like God is just cruel, right? Why would he make Abraham do? Okay, because he wants to make sure Abraham trusts him. Fine. But is that the best way to get trust to make you put your son on an I mean, what the heck? And I, I see two things that are going on here. Mm. If you've been reading, if you ever go back and read the story of Abraham, the whole story of Abraham is basically God asking Abraham, will you trust me with your past? Remember, the story of Abraham begins in chapter 12 by saying, Abraham, leave your past, leave your father's house, leave your homeland, leave everything you've known and follow me into your new present. So God throughout the story is saying, will you trust me with giving up your past? who you were, where you came from. Will you trust me with your present? Will you let me lead you to a place where you haven't even seen yet? 
Now the story is coming all, all the way around and God is saying, okay, you've trusted me with your past. You've left everything behind. You've trusted me with your present. You've let me lead you. Now will you trust me with your future? This is the offspring that you prayed for. This is what you've been hoping for. This is your future. This is your progeny. Will you give me your past, your present, and your future? Will you turn all of them over to me? Oh. And what's so profound about that, in a real way, Abraham is, this isn't a punishment for Abraham. This is a tremendous blessing of seeing the right way because Abraham is able to be drawn into the heart of God himself like no other Old Testament figure ever was. Yeah. The the Eternal Father is inviting a human being to actually understand on some level what it means to offer your only your only beloved son. The only difference is that there's going to be no angel to stay the hand of death on Calvary later on. But Ra- rather a- we we actually see the angels handing the cup to Christ in, right. on the mount of right. olives. Right, exactly. Exactly. But he's able to, I mean, what an act of love to invite someone to actually experience what God experiences. It's a profound way of love. I mean, what, somebody suggested that to me once and I was like, wow, it changes everything. It's not just God. How far will you go? Yeah. It's him saying, will you enter into this pain with me and feel what I'm going to feel? And, and it's just so beautiful because then, then of course, we have the the significance of the ram's horn being mm. blown before the sacrifices. Uh, the sa- <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for your chiffon. Yeah, yeah, you went very far on that. <laughs> Sorry, chiffon, chauffeur. Yeah, you went so far on that. I was. Oh, impressed. that was great. Thank you. What a great Bible pun. Uh, Somebody gets got on on the phone. Hey, he's got on. So far, we've been doing so good. <laughs> I love it. I usually hate puns so much, but um, that one's so obscure. Oh, it, it is. It makes me happy. Well, okay, so let's okay, go to sorry. Psalm 16. Let's, Psalm 16, yeah. Because, yeah, right, yeah. Right. I mean, like, yeah, we got yeah, yeah. We're, yeah. Just we're going. We're cruising. We're pilgrims. We're on the road. You are my inheritance, O Lord. <laughs> um, Talk to me. Uh, so, okay, hold on. Um, uh, you will not abandon my soul to the netherworld. Mm. You will not suffer your faithful to undergo corruption. Oh, so, so, um, so this is the, this psalm is actually talking about how um, Jesus is going to go farther than Abraham. Yes, this is like it, this is actually speaking to Abraham's sacrifice and saying. Um, uh, uh, that even in the midst of this, you will not abandon me. Um, you will show me the, and the delights at your right hand forever. So, yeah. but even more than that, I mean, what do we just say about Abraham? What, what is, what is God asking Abraham to give to him? Uh, past, present and future. In this specific circumstance though, it's his future. Yes. What is Isaac supposed to get? I mean, what, why does Abraham want an offspring so badly? Uh, worldwide blessing because God well what is the worldwide blessing though and how do you put that into very human terms father of all nations last big family God promised him an inheritance oh an inheritance how can what's the only way to pass down the worldwide blessing what's the only way to pass down this promise of a kingdom of a dynasty of land it's the inheritance that's going to be given to my son God promised me that there will be an inheritance that my family will pass down which will be a blessing to all the nations of the earth how can that inheritance exist if I'm being asked to sacrifice the one to whom the inheritance is supposed to go? And what is the psalm answering? You are my inheritance. 
Your inheritance is not this kid. Oh, bam. It's well, not, how did I miss the refrain? I don't know, but it's really... Dude, that's like phenomenal. It's really cool, though. Yeah, it's really You are my cool. inheritance. I am the inheritance. It's not just your kid. It's not just that there's going to be a great kingdom, which is often going to screw up, but it's it's me. I'm what's going to be passed down. I'm reminded of it. Well, I'm reminded of a lot of things. There's this line in Ezekiel, which is not the passage that we get this week, but where... um. Uh, Ezekiel is, is telling the story about when they went into exile. Remember, Ezekiel is hauled off in exile, and he has this very this image in the very beginning of his prophecy that shows um, a chariot with these wheels. Do you remember that? There's yeah, a, yeah. A, a, a seat with wheels that are, that are cruising around. Yeah, he's getting that vision just as Israel's temple has been destroyed and they've been hauled off into exile, and it's this reminder that doesn't matter if your temple's destroyed. I mean, that's a tragic thing, but God's presence is mobile. It's on wheels. It's going to come with you. It's not tied up into this building. Oh. Abraham's inheritance is not tied up in Isaac. That, oh, you know, I hope we don't mess this up, but he is the inheritance. He will bless the world through you, yeah. through the likes of us. Yeah. But it's him. He's not tied to this. And that's what this is all, I think, trying to bring together. Ooh. I'm very excited to see where you... I'm excited to share with you where I'm going. But we have to wait till we get there. Let's get there. Um, So let's go to Exodus Exodus. 14. Exodus. (laughs) Exodus. So, so ah, not, okay. Now we now that we've um, uh, done our exercise. <laughs> oh man! Do you see so far though? I I, just, I I really like this idea of the theme. I was thinking about this morning that there's this good and bad embedded in all of this. There's this inheritance that Abraham's being promised, but are you willing to give it over? To, are you willing to give it up for me? So there's this promise and there's this struggle that's embedded in each and every one of these readings. Yeah, and Exodus is no exception. Exodus is no exception. Which so so this reading uh, is getting us into um, the uh, the moment we're about it's to go us through into the, some pretty deep water. Oh, <laughs> oh. It's, stupid! It's through the Red Sea, so we're right. we're being taken <laughs> right. through the Red Sea, right? And um, which is interesting. Okay, so my my um, uh, um my understanding as I'm seeing this is that there is uh, a super cooperation with nature because we've been thinking about water and land and the separating yep. of water Ooh, and land. Yes, right. I forgot and, about that. In, in Genesis. And so, so he, he drew it up into a basin. and, and, and But then we just mucked out our uh, moat right outside of our, our student center, which mm. is nowhere near the size of a sea. It's just like a little a gully. I don't know, though. There was a lot of muck in there. there was, we, 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 we pulled out like 30,000 pounds of, mm-hmm. of muck. Um, and it was, and it was disgusting. And like when you walked in it, it sucked your feet in and it took Mm. your, um, we, we had, we bought waiters and stuff so Mm. that, so that you wouldn't like, but like the vacuum pressure of stepping into mud is horrible. Yeah. So one of the things that we have to remember is that the Lord actually made the land dry land underneath their feet. They weren't walking through muck. Right. And, um, that, that, um, uh, there's an echo of of decreation going on here. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, and it, because because there's not an echo of decreation. There is decreation. It's the watery chaos. Remember, what did God form everything out of? Out of this idea of watery chaos. What's returned now? Watery chaos. So what you're saying? Sorry. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Okay, that's that was that. It's like my oh big shoot, insight. did I take it? Did I steal your You did insight? it so good, though. Oh, man. We, we didn't I just take got it. excited. I hadn't I, thought about that before, and then you made me think about it, and I got excited. I get excited <laughs> about learning. Me, too. What's so funny is that, like, 
is it's it's like a good song when two musicians are playing is like we can like play music together and then somebody's got to hit the good note somebody's got to hit and it you, and you did it man that's so, true so well but you but you brought me there but first i had to muck out so, ah, well because this is it, it's interesting because <laughs> when the water hits the muck then the the chariot wheels get clogged that's true and so they get thrown back into watery chaosness that's true well yeah it's not watery chaos for everybody um, no, in but, fact, it's, they're recreating this. They're sending forth the spirit, recreating the face of the earth. Can I tie together this with the psalm that comes after? Because yeah, yeah, let's, as let's, we mentioned let's at the beginning, this both. is one continuous narrative. Yes, the psalm merely picks up the song that they begin singing at the end. So imagine that you're the Israelites. You're this massive nation. You're in the middle of the Red Sea, which is this huge body of water. There's been debate over what they're actually crossing over, and some. Scholars are like, well, they just crossed over a little sea of reeds that was three feet wide. No, this is described elsewhere in the Bible as the place where they dock massive ships. This is this is a major body of water. The same term that's used is a main dock point for other ships in the kingdom of Israel later on during Solomon's reign. Anyway, it's a massive body of water that we're dealing with. Yes. Um, So they're in the middle of it. They're watching behind them as uh, Pharaoh's chariots and charioteers are all getting washed away in the watery chaos. What do they do? They burst into song <laughs> because God has redeemed them. But here's the catch. Hold on. Before you okay. even get there. Okay. I was just thinking about this. I think it. W- I think that the- there was somebody, there was an artist, there was a songwriter yeah. who's going through th- this thing. You know what I mean? Somebody had to write this song. Oh, yeah. And so- Oh, well, Miriam did. Miriam wrote the song. Mm-hmm. It's the song of Miriam, I believe. Yeah. So Mir. So this is the thing: is that Miriam had this artistic soul, yeah, who was like responding and and processing these things as they're going along, and so that when it happened, yeah. the songs just erupted forth from her soul. Yes, and the song though that's erupting forth from Miriam's soul is a th- a song about redemption. Basically saying we have been redeemed, right? Isn't that really what it's about? We've been saved from our enemies. We are redeemed. Mm, If you read it very carefully. Careful reading. Especially in the Hebrew, I think you get this sense. If you read it very carefully, I'm convinced that they're still in the Red Sea at this point. So they're singing a song about redemption and having been saved while huge towering walls of water are around them, which could crush them at any second. So in the midst of watery chaos on all sides of them, including behind them with people being wiped out, they are able to transcend that sort of reality and sing a song of redemption. But they're singing a song of redemption in the midst of the chaos, which I think is one of the most, this is, this is for me, it's the crescendo of the, uh, of the kind of the good and the bad being tied together. We're in the midst of a world that's full of chaos. Can we, can Jesus on the cross, cry out to God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Knowing the end of that psalm is that I have actually been redeemed. Can he be hanging on the cross in bloody agony, crying out that he has been redeemed, that there is vindication Mm. in the middle of it? That's why this is so profound to me, because if you read those words, remembering where they actually are when they're singing that, it changes everything to me. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. And in my meditation, that's where I was. was Were you? Oh, yeah, yeah. Because I think it's an unusual way to read it, but I think that's textually true. I and and I actually imagine that. Um, 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 I just am actually imagining her crying out. Mm. 
So she starts mm. to sing, "I will sing to the Lord," and like and like starts to cry. You, you know, kind of kind of like um, you know how like when you have a bunch of Irish singers together, you'll have one woman, and she'll and one's gonna get into a fight, and one's but gonna. Uh, is that not okay? No, um, no, it's funny. It's, okay, good. it's good. No, um, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> but you know how like you'll just have somebody cry out without any instrumentation and sing yeah. like a story. Yeah, I, yeah, I just yeah. kind of have that context. I just kind of imagine yeah. that this is, um, yeah, because it's in the first person. I will sing to the Lord. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Which is just that's good. Which is just beautiful, and I yes. like it in the midst of that. Yeah. Wow. So let's go. Wow. To, let's go to Isaiah. That's profound. Um, Isaiah, fifty-four. Okay, okay. So I'm starting to get all crazy on this one. Please okay. do, because I. It's not that I didn't see it, but oh yeah, I so, may have just studied Isaiah fifty-five. So take it away, Father. <laughs> okay. Um, there, uh, the grand mystery of the church. So it, it, Isaiah fifty-four is going through and talking about uh, the relationship of a husband and a wife. And how that covenant reality kind of gets get gets cast off. That okay. that that uh, the church in some ways is is cast off. Israel's cast off by the Lord. Yeah. Um, but then she says, "No, we are bonded forever." And the the even though though the mountains leave their uh, place and the hills be shaken, my love shall never leave you, or my covenant of peace be shaken. Says the Lord, who has mercy on you. And oh, afflicted one, storm battered and unconsoled. I lay your pavements in carnelians and your foundations in sapphires. I will make your battlements of rubies, your gates of carbuncles, and all your walls of precious stones. Okay, what is this? Uh, if you were in the Old Testament, what are you thinking of? Carbuncles. You're thinking of the ephod. Yes, the priest's ephod. The priest's ephod. So we're Which is what? Which is the, the it's a chest plate of no. precious stones that the high priest, just the high priest would wear. In yes. sacrifice, so the high priest. So what happens is, all of a sudden, Isaiah is is um, eliciting forth imagery of the high priest talking about the foundation stones, and that the and the marriage between God and His people. And so, so you, you, what you're seeing. Do you know where those stones all come from? Um, I don't know where they come from. I mean, the the earth. Well, and pressure, the earth, but where they're mentioned there's elsewhere. Like, there's like dirt and minerals, and then they kind of combine. And some I don't. I'm, well. Most of them are metamorphic rock, I think. That's where they come from. But where they're mentioned first is back in Genesis, in the garden. They're oh. described as being in the rivers, in the garden, what that God creates. So the reason the priest had it on his ephod is that they were drawn out of God's creation, used to glory. Later on in the book of Revelation, those same stones will be put on the temple building in the in the, the heavenly temple that comes down. Well, yeah, and then, then what what's happening Sorry, is that— your thunder again is that we are looking to the foundation. So it's even better with Genesis yeah. because you have the preternatural gifts and the, the, the union between man and woman. Yeah. Then in Israel with the high priest and the union between the priesthood in Israel. Yeah. And then in the heavenly Jerusalem, which is the, um, which is the, uh, um, hmm. which is the bride adorned for yeah. her husband coming out. But who is the bride? Yeah. Who is the bride and who is the bridegroom? It's the person of Jesus. Yeah. It's just that you're talking about the wheels and the mobility of God. It's right. not, we're not tied. Even yeah. though we begin and we start our foundation stones on the Temple Mount and the sacrifice of Isaac. Right. No, what's going to actually, we're going to see this come down out of heaven, out of the sky. And we're going to see the, the, the human attached to the high priestly nature. Yeah. 
attached to this imagery of the of the union that we're going to be seeing. And then it says, all your children shall be taught by the Lord, um, which is, uh, and then and far from the fear of oppression and where destruction cannot even come near you. Why does he need to point that out? Because at the time that this is being written, they're in oppression and destruction. They're in captivity at this point. Which is the light and the dark, the good, the bad. Exactly. So it's all in the future tense. It's a very confident future tense. Yes. But they're not seeing it yet. Those are the facts of life, man. Yeah. You take the good, you take the bad, you take them both, and and there you have have the facts of life. Okay, we get into Psalm 30. Psalm 30. 30. What do you, uh, I will praise you forever for you have rescued me. I will extol you, O Lord, for you drew me clear. You drew me clear? Is that a typo? You drew me clear. You know, as the Lord was sketching, he didn't use a fill. There was no Good. watercolors. That's what that, I This assume. is the albino version. Albino drawings. <laughs> albino drawings. You drew me clear. You drew me clear. I, there was no pigment. Um, we, no, wait a second, but I, we have to talk about that. What do you think that means? He drew me clear. Where have we just come from in the, in the schematics of these readings? We just came from um, Isaiah. Where did we come just before Isaiah? <laughs> Can you can't you can't like diss me like that? No, no, you're there. right. But I just mean we, we came have to from go from the, the Red Sea. What did God do with us in the Red Sea? He drew us clear of the watery chaos. We've been drawn clear. Oh, there is a tie here. There's a direct tie-in that we were. I mean, we should still be feeling in the readings that moment that we were in the midst of it. We were surrounded by watery chaos, but we knew that God had redeemed us. Isaiah is reiterating the same thing because now we're in the watery chaos of Babylon. We've been taken into exile. We've gone there because of our sins. We're in chaos. But Isaiah is also clear and confident that God will draw us out. The psalmist now takes that future reality and and implies it back onto the text. You have drawn me clear, even though I don't feel it yet, even though I don't see it yet, even though I'm in the midst of trouble, you have drew me clear. Because I know you have before, and I know you will again. Yeah. I will extol thee, O Lord, for thou hast drawn me up. Drawn me up? Yeah. Drawn me clear. I mean, yep. Same, same. I like draw me clear better, especially in light of these readings. Yeah, I do too. And and then Because it, it has echoes of that water. Exactly. And the water has really become one of these ongoing themes through these readings, hasn't it? Oh, yeah. The, the Lord's spirit over the water. Actually, we didn't mention this, but back in, in Exodus— the same word when God says, stretch out your staff and God's spirit separated the waters, it's the same word from Genesis. It's his ruah in the Hebrew that actually separates the waters um, mm. in the Exodus. Take that. Dude, I feel like I am contracting pneumonia. Well, I will praise you because you were rescued. <laughs> I, that, that didn't I think it's contracting pneumonia. Yeah, because the, the, the <laughs> pneuma. Oh, very good, but I but I think it's weird that pneumonia is water in the lungs. Pee pneumonia, but it's but pneumonia <laughs> means <laughs> pneuma means spirit in Greek. Pneuma it means breath, though breath. in the most literal sense. So it's watery breath, air, wind, breath. It's actually all the same word, air, wind, breath. I think those three, depth, but it is all the same. Depth and breath. Depth and breath. Okay. Why, yeah. Why? Why? Why is God's spirit described in that way, though? I mean, all of them are wind, breath, um, spirit. They're all things that you can't actually see happening, but you can see the results of them. You can see the fruit of wind. You can't actually see wind, but you can see what wind does. 
Oh right? yeah. You can't actually see breath, but I can smell your breath from here. You see, you feel it. <laughs> Shoot. No, I don't. I don't. Ah. I just, you're not listening to me. Stop it. Stop it. No, I am. I, no, no, but, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But I'm also looking at Psalm 30, which is mm. um, sung every year at the dedication of the temple on Hanukkah. I will praise you, Lord, for you have rescued me. We were just talking about, oh, with, that was with Father Brady. We were talking about Hanukkah just a minute ago. Yeah, we were just talking about Hanukkah. And then we have this connection back to the high priesthood. Oh, for Pete's sake. Oh, that's this my is awesome. Yeah, and but it's it, it, which is interesting because the old Israel's feast of dedication now becomes the new Israel's spring feast of the Pascha. Yeah, of of wow. uh, which is which is comes from Patrick Henry Reardon. Christ in the Psalms. Christ in the Psalms. If you ever want to read about the Psalms, and then you, of course, then they don't have to listen to the podcast anymore. No, don't read it. Don't, listen to us. Yeah, listen to us. You <laughs> like it better. You like it better when you listen to the lanky guys. Trust us. Trust us. All right, Isaiah 55. 55. 55. This is the one you studied, and I was looking yeah. at this, and I was like, there's grain and wine and milk. Yes, yes there is. And there's and some it's good. New, and there's new heavens and new earth. So it's the, uh, yeah, yeah. So it's the very next chapter from the, the psalm we were just, or from the uh, passages in Isaiah we were just reading. So where are we? We're still in exile. That's, and that's kind of the thing to remember. Um, the 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 way it begins, thus says the Lord, all who are thirsty, come to the water. All you who have no money, come receive grain and eat. Come without paying, without cost. So I was reading some commentaries on this, and the way that that line, those two verses, um, chat, verse 1a and verse 2a, all who are thirsty, come to the water, come receive grain and eat. The, the grammatical structure of those some scholars believe is the exact same structure that merchants would use in the marketplace when they were shouting out for people to come to their stalls and buy their stuff. Oh. So it's a marketplace invitation. Does that make sense? Yeah. So the grammatical structure. So what, what's the point of that? Hearken to me that you may be satisfied. So he says, all you are thirsty, come to the water. You have no money, come eat grain. So it starts off talking about physical things. If you're thirsty, I have water. If you have no money, I've got grain, I've got bread. Come without paying, without cost, drink wine and milk. Um, and, the, and he doesn't mean the mix together. Wine and milk? Do you not do that? Do you do that? No, I'm just kidding. I'm going to I'm gonna put cream and milk. <laughs> What? I mean, cream and wine. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. But then he goes on. So he, we're talking about physical things, bread, water, uh, wine, milk, bread again. But then he goes on to say, heed me, or in other words, listen to me, hearken to me, and you shall eat well, you shall be delight. Come to me heedfully, listen to me that you may be satisfied. Um, I think what, what we see here, it, we have this distinction that we like to make between the physical and the spiritual. What this passage is doing is actually breaking that down. Mm. So there's the physical realities. Then there's also the spiritual realities. Listen with your ears and your thirst will be quenched. Come to me with your hearts and your hunger will be satisfied. It's merging the imagery. It's it's almost mixing metaphors, right? It's mixing this imagery of, of physical things and uh, spiritual things, and I think what it's getting at, um, it's pointing to a time that they're going to be freed and come back home. It's pointing ahead to their redemption, and I think what it's ultimately pointing to is that God wants them to have fullness of life. Later on, Jesus is going to say, "I came that they may have life and have it to the full." What is fullness of life? It's not just spiritually attuning ourselves to God. It's actually having physical things. It's actually the physical needs that we want. It's having wine to celebrate. It's having milk in abundance. It's having fruit. It's having water. It's having bread. It's having these spiritual realities. It is life and life to the full. 
why did Christ come in a human body? He could have just done this all spiritually and then told us about it through a prophet. He didn't. He took on physical human flesh because he needed to redeem everything, all of creation, our spiritual lives, our souls, our memories, our minds, our eyes, our ears, our hands, everything he came to redeem. So uh, this is what I'm this is what I'm thinking about as I'm hearing all this stuff um, about the blessings that God's going to give. It's it's the invitation to the salvation that's actually being given to them. The invitation to be delivered from Babylon, return home, and when you get home, you're going to have fullness of life waiting for you. Mm -hmm. So what do you do? Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call to him while he's near. Let the scoundrel forsake his way, the wicked man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord for mercy. Who are the scoundrel? Who is the wicked man that needs to turn? Well, it's Israel who's in exile because they've been a scoundrel and wicked and not hearken to the voice of the Lord. So Isaiah is saying, now's the time. Now's when he's near. He wants to set you free. There's all this waiting for you at the other end. Again, there's dark and there's light. There's good and there's bad. You're in the midst of suffering. You can't see it yet. But like Miriam, you have to know that the other side is there. What do you have to do? You have to move toward it. You have to turn around. You have to not face Egypt getting getting trampled down by the water anymore. You have to turn and hearken to the voice of your Lord who you can't see who's at the other side. Not to the death, not to the destruction, not to the chaos. You have to trust in what you can't actually see. Just like when we see Jesus on the cross, we're going to have to trust in something we cannot see. Not focus on the death and the pain and the chaos, although we need to endure those things. But we need to see why God is using those things. Does that make any sense? I'm kind of thinking out loud, but does that make sense? Totally. It's beautiful. Well, there you go. I can see it right now. And then that that's a perfect segue into Isaiah chapter 12 then, which, which takes us our, back. Which is not a response to Holy Psalm, but a canticle. A canticle. Oh. Right. Aren't they all canticles? Or the last three I at mean, least? The, yeah, the last three. The right. last three are canticles. Yeah, yeah, but they're yeah. not psalms. Well, but they're they, called but the, the USCCB calls them psalms. Are you going to fight with the USCCB? I am. All right. Well, there you go. Okay. <laughs> but anyway, this canticle, again, it's taking us, it's answering this question. You will draw water joyfully from the springs of salvation. You're not yet. You're not right now, but you will. Trust yep. me. Yep. And I, I love that all of this is taking place on the Easter Vigil, because what are these readings doing? These readings are taking us through salvation history, from the darkness, through the good and evil. Even though there was good, there was bad. God's bringing hope. We can never quite see it. We can't quite attain the blessings that God promised us, but it's bringing us up these stair steps as we get closer and closer. And as we we almost reach the end, we get to Isaiah, which says, you will draw water joyfully from the springs of salvation. It's just across the horizon. And even in the liturgy, we're just about to get there. And in the Easter vigil, there's a bunch of people that'll be standing on the altar who are about to drink, draw joyfully from the waters of baptism, of salvation that is right there. The waters of baptism will be on the altar with the lector just across the way. I mean, the the, the imagery that the church is, is evoking, I think is really profound here. Absolutely. So give thanks to the Lord. Acclaim his name among the nations. Make known his deeds, et cetera, et cetera. Done. Done. That takes us to Baruch. Baruch al-Tahalochenu Adonai. Baruch. Yeah. Dude, uh, either that or we have to go for Baroque. Oh, get it? Everybody get it? Everybody uh, get it? You guys get it? Dude, what, yeah. how long have we been podcasting? Oh, right boy. Now? I'm afraid to look. Uh, we got to... Oh, man, this is long. What time is it? 54. We, we're 54 in? Yes. I feel like we need to give them a break or something. Like, t- tap dance or give them a joke. A baroque? 
<laughs> Dude, we are going for Baruch. Well, we are. I think we got to plow. Yeah, I know. I'm just saying that <laughs> we do. You guys, everybody have a tap dance. Uh, and we'll get back to you, it. You know, if you want to, this would be a great time. You just press pause on your podcast <laughs> and go take a motorcycle ride. <laughs> if you have a motorcycle. If you have a motorcycle. Or get a cup of coffee. Or get a cup of coffee, you know. Go and, to the bathroom and, if you have to. And then you can come back. We'll wait. And we're back. Hey, everybody. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Lanky Guys. All right, Baruch. We're in Baruch Chapter 3. I'm getting freaked out because <laughs> it's late. All right, so Dude, Baruch. We're, we're just Crash gonna, course. Yeah, we're just going to keep going. We're doing it. Crash course on Baruch. Baruch. Do you know who Baruch is? <laughs> I don't know, but I want you to say Baruch like six more times. <laughs> Baruch, 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 Baruch. Baruch is Jeremiah's scribe. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that that's kind of situates us um, historically. So he's Jeremiah's right-hand man. He's his scribe. And um, the book of Baruch was believed to be written about five years after the destruction of Jerusalem. So oh. remember, Jeremiah witnessed the destruction. He saw all this stuff. Baruch is actually mentioned in the book of Jeremiah. He shows up as oh. a character. Um, so this is him. He's, Je- he's Jeremiah's secretary. He's writing this five years after the destruction of Jerusalem. And basically, he's recapping how on earth we got here and what we ought to do about it, because this is pretty bad. So he's writing this letter. I think he's writing it back. It's a book sent from Babylon to those who are back in Jerusalem, wondering, okay, how did we get here? What are we doing here? What do we do now? And it's split into three parts, the whole book. And I I, I crash course this because this is a book that I bet a lot of us are not familiar with. Chapters one through three is all about the problem. How did we get here? What happened? How did we get into this terrible situation, most of the first couple of chapters actually comprises this big corporate confession of their sins. They'll actually confess their sins aloud. And Baruch says, we have to admit what we've done. So it's a big confession. Part two, chapters three through four, is all about the solution. How do we change? How do we go from here? And the solution will be wisdom and the Torah. The third part of the letter, chapters four and five, is, okay, what does the future hold? What now? And he'll go on to say, similar to what Isaiah says, that there is encouragement. There is there is a future for you. So where we find this is right in the middle part. And we actually find this right in the, the turning over. Um, the whole book in chapter nine, 3, verse 9, where we start, turns from prose to poetry. And we begin right here um, a poem to wisdom. Um, wisdom, of course, throughout the whole Bible is referred to as a she uh, throughout the Old Testament. Um, But the fathers had a field day with this because they all talked about, well, Jesus is wisdom personified. But for the Old Testament, wisdom and the Torah were the same thing. So um, what's going on here? If you read through this whole passage, this is a long passage, but it basically says, this is how we got here. Here's who we are. Here's our corporate sin that we're confessing. And it ends with this tremendously joyous note. It ends with the words, blessed are we, O Israel. For what pleases God is known to us. It ends with this sense of happiness. Here we are. It's five years after the destruction. We're living in the burned out ruins of Jerusalem. We're suffering. We're starving. We're dying. But blessed are we. Why on earth would a people like that be blessed? I, you got me. I mean, it's kind of. I mean, it's kind of like the theme that we keep on going through as we're talking here. Well, for them, it's very specific, and this is where I think the readings have been stepping us up closer and closer. For them, the reason that they're blessed is not just that they're in this terrible situation, but they know how they got there. 
Blessed uh, are, I mean, we're all going to be in hard times. We're all going to suffer. We're all going to be in messes. Yeah. Blessed are you if you know how you got there. Because then you know how to deal with it. Then you know what you mm. need to do. Then you know how to begin to slowly, gruelingly perhaps, pull yourself out of it. They're blessed because they finally realized, oh, that's what we did. Now we can do something. Wow, dude, that's all. That's powerful. Yeah, I, I, because I was looking at this one and I was like, ignore. Do do? Well, yeah, no, seriously, because what do you do with it? But it, it does. There's a great tradition behind this, and of course, this is just the beginning of the exile. So they're going to suffer through the exile for seventy more years, and then, you know, if you if you believe the prophets, hundreds of more years on top of that. But at least they know how they got there. <laughs> Man, it have a do day. Psalm 19. Psalm 19. Um, uh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting because we started talking about um, um, uh, the, how the law uh, how the law and wisdom are synonymous with each other yes. in Baruch. Um, well, it's interesting because from from Psalm 19, the first part of Psalm 19 is my like absolute favorite. Um, the heavens proclaim the glory of God and the firmament shows forth. The uh, heavens are telling the glory of God and all creation is shouting for joy. Come dance in the forest, forest and pee in the field. <laughs> yes. You yeah. can go back in the archives if you want that story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and, it uh, involves a bishop, though. Yep. And okay. so it's the two books of creation. I mean, the two, the two books of revelation of law and creation yeah. are found in Psalm 19 really beautifully uh, and very easily. So yeah. so it, it's not just that the wisdom is, is, is the law is wisdom. Per, Jesus is wisdom personified, and right. he is the law. Yeah. But that also that there's this this sense of creation. What was that? I think it was my cord. <laughs> Dude, that, that was not a tootie on the <laughs> air, just in case. Um, yeah. Everything's fine if you called it a tootie. A tootie. It's a long podcast. Long podcast. Going, everybody said, if they're right. with us, they just laughed about their tootie too because they've been tooting this whole time. Seriously? <laughs> yeah, dude. This hey, is what we've it's become. the facts of life, man. You take the good, you take the bad. You on, the, yeah. Tootie? Oh, Tootie. <laughs> dude, come on. That was okay. That was That's the good. next level, That's dude. Witty. I like that you just took your wallet out of your pocket. <laughs> after it hurt. All the, all the... Do you remember that Seinfeld episode where oh, George's you know, George wallet? was absurd. Oh. Okay, Ezekiel. Zeke, thirty-six. Dude. Good old Zeke. Bring on the Zeke, man. <laughs> um, I I don't really... I, I, I thought this one was really passing on... <laughs> It was a good bridge piece. I didn't see it in my preparations. It's just like talking no. about baptism and stuff. Is it? Okay. No, the, the word. So Ezekiel, though, we've, we've already mentioned Ezekiel earlier. Remember, he's the one that started with the vision of the wheels, the chariot wheels. So Ezekiel is, Ezekiel, when the exile happened, remember Babylon, one of their strategies was they'd, they'd come in, they'd take the people they thought were most valuable. They could put to work. It's their, it was their immigration strategy. So Ezekiel was taken among the first rounds because he was sharp. He was a well-educated guy. He was, he, was, uh, he was a big deal. So they took him. So he's writing these things. For, he's the opposite of Baruch in a certain sense. Baruch is kind of on the ground floor writing to the people suffering. Ezekiel is kind of getting a, more of a bird's eye vision of what's going on. He's in the, the hierarchy of Babylon right now in a certain sense. And he gets to write back and kind of show, again, like Baruch did, here's how we got here. 
Um, Son of man, when the house of Israel lived in their land, they defiled it by their conduct and their deeds. So I poured out my fury upon them. So again, you get this, the imagery of the good and the bad. Here's what we've done. Again, it's, it's, it's the, it's the exclamation point onto what Baruch said. We realized what we did. We realized how we got here and blessed are we. And Ezekiel is saying, don't forget it. Don't forget you defiled the Lord by your conduct. You defiled the Lord. So he poured out his fury. He is all merciful. But sometimes that mercy actually requires punishment because a merciful father is not one who lets their children just beat up on each other all day. It actually has to be put to, it has to, it has to stop. So he's literally, this passage is profound. If you read through it, it's a recap of all of salvation history. He's recapping the whole story. And why is the church putting this here? Because as we're now about to enter into the New Testament epistle, as we're, as everything is about to change, Ezekiel wants to remind you, don't you dare forget how you got here. Don't you dare forget why Jesus has stepped into history to set everything on its head. And don't you forget your place in the story and yeah. your place in this whole narrative. Which which, which is going to be to create a new people. I'm going to take right. you from the nations. I'm going to gather you together. I'm going to baptize you. I'm going to sprinkle clean water upon you. Yes. And then, which again is about to happen in the liturgy. Everything that he just said is going to happen in our midst. And one of my favorite things is this, is it says, I w- I'm going to take from your bodies your stony hearts mm. and give you natural hearts. Mm. I'm going to take from you the Ten Commandments written on tablets of stone, and I'm going to give you the new law written in the heart of Christ. Mm. And and I'm going to take you, and I'm going to actually put your his heart within you. Yeah. Which is just like, that's like, th- this is one of my favorite pl- proclamations in Scripture. It's like, Oh man, we're not going to be living a dead, rigid law. Yes. We're going to be living a a, a law of beating from the heart of God Himself. Yeah, and that's the then that's the beautiful good news. And then I'm going to give you my, and I'm going to be your people, and I'm going to be your God. I'm going to wed you, like I was talking about in Isaiah 54. Yes, and I'm going to put some nice jewels on you, on your ephod, on your ephod, ephod. <laughs> Hello, my name is Ephod. <laughs> I'm going to do either that or you know what that's going to be. That's going to be my new online jewelry service, EFOD. EFOD's world. E-bomb's world. Dude, everyone's world. world. Dude, you just brought up E-world, bro. I know. That was good times. Yeah, man. We're going to make that movie someday. So that brings us to what would in a normal liturgy be the regular responsorial psalm, right? Psalm 42. Which is what you, Psalm forty two is the one we read when there is a baptism no, that's no, being no, celebrated. Th- no, this would. Oh yeah, 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 right? yeah, yeah, yeah. There's other options if there's no baptisms, um, but we're going to talk about this one, which is it, it's a well known one. Psalm forty two, like a deer that longs for running streams, my soul longs for you, my God. This is the story of all of these readings that there is God who has a certain intention with the world. This is how it's been created. This is His desire. This is how we failed. But this is what we really want. If we realized what we'd lost, if we realized what God's intentions were from the beginning, it should make us thirst for what we've lost in salvation history. Mm. It should make us thirst for what Christ is about to do in our midst. Mm. And hopefully those who are being brought forward to be baptized have been taught that. Hopefully they've been catechized so they realize like that deer who longs for running streams, their soul is thirsting for the waters of the baptism that they're about to receive. That's the ideal. That's what catechesis should have done. And so that's where this fits, then I think, ideal in the liturgy. Yeah. Take that. 
and it also fits here. It says, I'm going to go up to the altar of God, the God of my gladness and joy, and I will give thanks upon the harp. So it brings in the fact that this is, there's a sacrifice. There is an altar. And, and a harp. It, and a harp. Yeah, you know, you know, at uh, the the um, the uh, the Irish uh, the Irishman, um, the religious Irishman said, uh, he said this. He's your second Irish joke of the podcast. I know it is. He says, "I I will go and solve my problems with the harp, (laughs) the beer." Yes, nice. I really, that's good. I really, good. I really spoiled the lead up and the execution on that one. That was like, no, it's good. That's like how your dad does jokes, you know. Not no, my don't dad. My, my dad. My, my dad's very funny. Don't bring my dad into this. I, I mean, I was talking about the podcast. I just told it to everybody. <laughs> I love you. Oh, your dads are funny. I promise. Your dads are funny. <laughs> they don't bomb uh, jokes ever. No, never. We, ha- dude, this is our longest podcast we've ever okay. done ever. We gotta go then. Okay, episode. Romans 5, 6, Romans 6. <laughs> Romans 6, not no, 5. Which is six. what? All about baptism. So brothers and sisters, are you aware that you were baptized into Christ Jesus? When you were baptized in Christ Jesus, you were baptized into his death. We're buried with him through his death. So this is the thing. Here's all I have to say about this. When we um, think about baptism, the imagery that often comes to our minds, because of the, the prophets, I mean, they articulate this, but the primary image that comes to our minds is one of cleansing, right? We've yeah. been cleansed by the waters of baptism, which is true. That's 100% true. But the original imagery of baptism was not one of taking a shower or taking a bath. The original imagery of baptism for a people in the Middle East, in Palestine, who were not really a seafaring people, was one of drowning. Water was a fearful thing. Water was a scary thing, except for the, uh, the few fishermen that were up north. Water was horrifying. That was where chaos was, right? That's what we've seen. The waters were chaos. And so if you take a person who doesn't know how to swim and you dunk their head underwater for a period of time, their reaction is not one of, oh, I'm taking a nice bath or washing my face. It's one of horror because they're being reminded of death, of drowning. So the primary imagery of baptism, as you know, is one of dying, You die in baptism. And if you think about the imagery, you're thrust down into the water of drowning once. And the priest says, you're baptized in the name of the the Father. Then you come up and then again, and into the name of the Holy Spirit. Then you come up and then you're thrust down to the water again for a third time in in the name of the Holy Spirit. And after three times down into the symbol of death, you're brought back up and the priest pronounces, now you have put on Christ, you are a new creation. Three times into a sign of death. In him you have been baptized. That's the idea. And what Paul goes on to say in the rest of this passage is that basically he gives an apologetic as to why we shouldn't sin anymore. Why shouldn't we be like the people in the Old Testament that got ourselves into all kinds of problems, even though we probably will? Why should you not? Why should you not go on sinning? This is part of this part of um, Romans where he says, you know, the more we sin, the more God's going to pour his grace out upon us. And the logical question, if you hear that the more we sin, the more God will pour out his grace, the logical question is, of course, why not sin more so that we get more grace? If we sin more, God's going to give us grace. We should just sin more and get more grace, right? No. Paul says no. Why not? Because we've been di- we died and our lives we live are now hidden in Christ. Well, what he expects you, what you expect him to say is because you're going to go to hell or because you're going to be punished or because whatever. None of which he says. He says, you can't do it because it's not who you are. You're lying. If you persist in a life of sin, you're lying because you have died to that old life of sin. You've been raised up in baptism. It's not the reality anymore. So why would you live a lie? 
Yes, you might be punished. Yes, you may go to hell if it's bad enough. But that's not the reason you should stop. The reason is because you're lying about your identity, hmm. which is such a better apologetic than stop sinning or you might burn in hell. I mean, I'm not trying to downplay hell. No. But the reality is you're lying about your identity. Yeah. Why and, would you do that? And you teach Sunday school. <laughs> we, we watched some Colbert and, mm. and Colbert was trying to talk to this guy about like hell and you send yourself to hell and he threw and, down and then he just said I teach Sunday school and that's why I said that let's see if we can finish this podcast before my computer dies gospel four, I got 4% Matthew 28 1 through 10 there's this, a Sabbath first of the week there's earthquakes angel of oh, the Lord it, yeah Dude, I was thinking about this. Dude, Jesus, because he was resurrected, mm. he didn't need anybody to roll back the stone. The stone was rolled back for other people because he could pass through walls and stuff. That's true, but the stone is rolled back. By the angel. Yeah. But so somebody does. So even though he doesn't need it, but, it still happens. Yeah, but it's for evidence for the other people. It's, it's not, oh, oh, it's not, I see, it's not I so see Jesus can get out. Oh, I thought you meant so other people could be. I don't know. I just, no, yeah. As I was just thinking about this, it, sometimes it's like roll back the stone. Here's what I think. I don't know if this is right or not. Okay, but it's probably wrong. Here's my here's the insight. So where did we start this whole thing? Uh, where did we come from? Formless void, Genesis. From creation, right? The formless void of Genesis, the created world coming together. What is Christ's resurrection doing? It's shaking all of creation. I mean, Jesus rises from the dead, as we read last week in the reading, bodies are rising from the grave. There are earthquakes. There's an eclipse of the sun. The cosmos is flipping out because... Like Isaiah 55 said, it's not just the spiritual reality. God wants to transform the entire world. Christ's resurrection does that. I actually think the earthquake rolled away the stone. That the earth could not contain Jesus. And it actually shook it away. Yeah, well, it said an angel. Well, yeah, of the I know Lord the angel of the Lord does it. Approached, rolled back the stone, yeah, I know, and sat I know on he, it. I know he does that. <laughs> But you know I, what I mean? I the point mean. is I, that I, the I, earth I, can't contain him. No, no. It's, it, it's, it's, it, it shudders. It's like, <laughs> yeah. it's, it, it's, uh, it's, it's like we talk about quantum events and like people are always like, you know, if like a quantum event is like this thing where one thing is going to pass through another thing yeah. if you give it a certain amount of time. This is like beyond anything. Like it's the super cooperation with nature and nature becomes what it's supposed to. And it yes. shakes off death. Death is. It shakes off death. It doesn't shake off Jesus. It shakes off death. And which cannot contain it. No. And so everything. Is, so it's an utterly new creation. It's the answer to our first psalm. Remember when we called for God to send down his spirit and renew the face of the earth. Send the ruah to bring order out of the chaos again, just like you did at the first. What is God's spirit doing? It's bringing order back out of the chaos. What's the fruit of it? The stone being rolled away and, and death being cast out. Death has now been cast into the sea with Pharaoh and his chariots and his charioteers. It's not just the agents of death, it's death itself now. That's yes. what's been killed. So, yeah. hallelujah. Hallelujah. If I can say that on... Well, it's, not, it's not Easter yet, but for you guys it might be. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. But that's the only proper response. It's only That's why the church response. brings this back, because it's the only appropriate thing to say. Yes, absolutely. So, that being said... Hallelujah. Hallelujah to you, unless you're listening on Thursday or Friday. <laughs> Truly he is risen, Christ is risen. Almost. Almost, almost, almost. Oh, yeah, because these people are listening. They're listening on Thursday, Friday, or well, Saturday. What, we just ruined all of their fast from hallelujah. No, it's okay. So cool. so don't you say my fast from about to die. All right, guys. <laughs> we love you. We love you. Listen next week. We'll be back. Um, 
We'll be back. Happy Easter. Happy Easter if to you. We don't you. see you. And um, keep it real. Keep it real. Bye, everybody. Bye. The Word on the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado, www.thomascenter.org. You can also send us an email at lankyguys at thomascenter.org. See you next week.